You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I, right out of the gate, want to honor Jeremy and Ashley. I know they're not here tonight. Um, Jeremy texted me on Friday, and he said, hey, Ashley and I are under the weather. Uh, can you come and preach in Frisco? And immediately there was a yes in my heart. I know um, I'm on staff at our Dallas campus, and so I am, not only do I get to be at the Dallas campus each weekend, I am required to be at the Dallas campus each weekend. And so because of that, I don't ever get to spend time with you guys. So this is my first weekend with you, which I was super excited to be a part of. My wife has been here um, to lead worship, and I never get to come with her. I'm like, I wish I could go with you, but I get to be in Dallas, but I'm also required to be there. So tonight I get to be with you guys, and I am super excited, and I just want to honor Jeremy and Ashley. Man, you, I just, the announcements, Liz is giving the announcements, and she's talking about volunteering, and I want to say that the soil here is really good because the leadership is really good. Like, the leadership in this house is amazing, and over quarantine, I don't know if you were like me and you picked up any weird hobbies, but I made a garden in quarantine, and I learned something, and it's that seed is not expensive. I mean, we bought all these different seeds, and it, I think the most we spent for a bag of seeds was like 50 cents. But then when it came to get soil for the garden, man, I was blown away by how expensive the soil was. And I feel like there's a great, great principle or great truth there that seed is really cheap, but soil is really expensive, and the soil in this house is really, really good. And I want to encourage you, if you're on the fringes and you're like, man, I don't know, I'm kind of checking out this church, man, jump in. Man, bury yourself in the soil in this house and watch what the Lord does as you bloom here. It'll be amazing. So, amen. Jeremy, Ashley, if you somehow get to listen to this or you're whatever, we, I honor you. I love you guys. Thank you for asking me to come. And then I want to show a picture. Do you have that picture? This is my family right here. This is the Smith starting five, I like to say. And so this is my beautiful wife, Sarah Beth. So we, uh, she's leading worship tonight um, at the Dallas campus. And so it's her first time to lead worship since she has given birth to our beautiful baby girl, Rosie. So we actually had to get a babysitter for tonight. Now that coming out of my mouth, that phrase, we had to get a babysitter, that makes me feel like I'm in the twilight zone. I'm like... Wait, what, what, you know? I know many of you are there. It's your normal life for us. Tonight is a first. We're like babysitter, check. All right, do we got the diapers, check. Like, it's a new life for us. Um, but this is our beautiful girl, Rosie. She was born on December 17th, um, and we are just in love. And then these are our two dogs. The white one that looks like she's looking at an angel is Nala. And then the small one, Max, he is looking out the window thinking squirrels 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 so this is this is my family i want to show you this picture because you may be like who is this random dude that is preaching but i want to see you know when you go to family reunions and you see that one cousin that you didn't see since the last family family reunion it's been like five years well i'm i'm that guy i'm the extended cousin to you guys but we are family you may not know who i am but we are family and i'm excited to be here so um if you would if you'd open your bible to matthew 19 i do have a message uh, I feel from the Lord that I just feel like is so, so relevant for our season and timing that we're in. And so if I could title this message anything, I would title it Young Kings, Young Kings. 
Now listen, if you're in this room and you're a teenager, you're a young king. If you're in this room and you're in your 20s, you're a young king. If you're in your 30s, you're a young king. If you're like, okay, what about me? I'm in my 40s. Or I'm over the hill. I want to declare over you, you're a young king. Come on, in Psalm 103, it says, forget not the benefits of the Lord. And in verse 5, it declares one of his benefits. It says that he renews our youth like the eagles. And I felt as I was praying tonight that the Lord wanted to really refresh this house. This is a young community. This is a young family. Man, in this room, maybe you have kids, maybe you don't have kids, maybe you're a teenager, maybe you're a father in the house, but man, you are young and vibrant, and this community is young and vibrant, and I want to declare over you refreshing, youthful refreshing over this house in Jesus' name. And so I have a, I have a friend who he always calls me, and when he calls me, he says, every time I answer the phone, I go, hello, and I hear, young king, young king, and I'm like, bro, what kind of greeting is this? And so as I've, as I've grown with him in friendship, um, he called me one time, and he said, I was the youth pastor the first time I, I met this guy, um, and he said, young king, you know, what are you doing with the teenagers? And then I started dating my wife, young king, are you going to marry that girl? And then we just had our first child, and he calls me again, young king, you're a dad, and I'm like, man, at what point am I just a king? And he goes, man, you're, you're, you're always young. You're always a young king. And, and so I have just started being encouraged. Anytime I see his name on my phone, I'm like, oh, he's about to encourage me. He's about to renew. He's about to renew my youth. And I pray that this message renews you in your youth and gives you clarity to see Jesus. Um, okay, so Matthew 19. Flip there. We're going to be in verse 16. And here in this passage... There is a young king, if you would, that is approaching Jesus. More specifically, the Bible defines him as the rich young ruler. And it says this, it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? He said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father, your mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, all these things I have kept since my youth, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly, I say to you, it is hard. Look at the person next to you and say, it is hard. Say it again. Say, it is hard. So Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to pray if you'll put your hand on your heart. Jesus, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that it is the standard above standards. I thank you, Jesus, that it is the authority above authorities. I thank you that your word, Jesus, it's a lamp to our feet. It's a light into our path. I thank you that your word, Jesus, it separates, it divides between soul and spirit. Lord, I thank you that your word, Lord, is truth. And Jesus, I just hold your word up above this house tonight as a standard, Lord, as a banner. And I just declare that your word would liberate us. I declare that your word would speak to us. I pray that your word would convict us, Jesus. Lord, if I I could preach the greatest message in my gifting, Lord, and without your word, without your authority, Lord, it's just void. And so I declare, Jesus, that you, that you, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would mark hearts in the room tonight. You would mark my heart. You would mark the leadership's heart. You would would mark every heart heart in the room tonight, but we say yes. 
we say yes. And, and I, just, I just hear the Lord asking this question that what if tonight was the night? What if tonight was the night that he touched you in a way that you didn't know that he could touch you? Would you say yes? Not because I'm here, not because of the worship team, but because you said yes tonight. So Jesus, Lord, we say yes. In Jesus' name, Lord, if it's you, we want it. In your precious name I pray. Amen. So we have here in the story a, a man who comes to Jesus, and he, he's, he's wanting to tell Jesus, Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? So he makes it about eternal life, and Jesus quickly makes it about following him, and he says, come and follow me. And the Bible defines this man as, as a rich, young ruler. Now, we don't know if he's a teenager. We don't know if he's in his 30s with four kids. We don't know who this young man is or why the Bible defines him as young. Maybe he's young in spirit. Maybe he's young in resources. Whatever it is, the Bible defines him as a young man, but he's got, lot, he's got a lot of resources. He's got a lot of possessions. He's got a lot of things in his life that could acquaint him to success. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about you following me. Come and follow me. And, and it says that he asks him one thing. He says, go give all that you have. Give it to the poor and come, come and follow me. And it says that he puts his head down and he's sorrowful in his heart and he goes away because what Jesus asks him to do is a hard thing. Now, I want to take a time out there and I want to tell you about how my wife and I came to date. Um, so, I, again, I'm from the Dallas campus. I was a single youth pastor at the time. And if you've ever, if you're single today in general, it's already weird waters to navigate. But if you're single in ministry, it's even weirder waters to navigate. You're like, man, how do I lead? But also, how do I pursue this cute little thing over here? And it's just a weird place to be. And so here comes my wife coming into, not my wife at the time, this young girl, um, into our community and she starts, she becomes friends with my sister and she starts hanging out with my sister. So we start hanging out and I start realizing really quickly, man, this, this girl is cute. So I do what charismatic Christians do. And I asked her to coffee. <laughs> hey, let's go to coffee. And so she says, yes, I'll go to coffee with you. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to tell this girl today at coffee that I like her. And so we get, we get there, we go inside and we order coffee and we sit down and we're, we're talking, and we're just, I'm asking her all the questions we can ask, and the entire time, I'm not even really listening to her response, because I'm having this own conversation in my head of, when's the right time, when's the right time, when's the right time, and uh, before you know it, our, our coffee date turned into a really long coffee date, and then it kind of entered into that phase of, it's like, okay, we've been here for a while, either we need to do something, or bro, you need to tell her, and I, my heart was beating out of my chest, and I'm trying to tell her, but I can't get the words out. And so finally she says, well, sh should we go? And I'm like, yeah, we should go. So we're walking to the car, and I'm thinking, oh, no, Aaron, tell her, tell her, tell her, tell her how you feel. Tell her why you asked her to coffee. And so we get in the car, and I put the car in reverse, and we start backing out. Again, I'm having this conversation in my mind, and I'm just trying to pump myself up. Like, you can do it, Aaron. You can do it. And so finally something comes over me, and I grab the little gear shift in my car, and I don't even realize that we're rolling, but I just slam the car in park. And so it's like this abrupt, like, oh, and my wife is now like, again, she's not my wife at the time. She doesn't even really know me, and she's like, what is going on? Like, and I'm like, Sarah Beth, I have to tell you something. And she's like, okay. And I was like, I like you, and her eyes just get big. And I was like, I want to pursue you. I think you're beautiful. It's just coming out, not as gracefully as I would hope to rehearse. It's just coming out. 
And I kid you not, true story, she, she looks back at me from the passenger seat of my car with these big old wide eyes, and she goes, I admire you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Can I pursue you? Can I, do you like me too? And you admire me? Um, but quickly, I found out that that means, Aaron, I like you too. And uh, we started dating, and we fell in love super quick. I felt like a rock for her. And so we decided we wanted to get married. And so what we did is we went to a couple in, um, that was on staff at the time. It was Michael and Meredith Malden. You may know that name. You may not. Um, but they were on our executive team at the time. And they just had really good fruit in their life. And we said, hey, will you guys do premarital counseling with us? And they said, we would love to. And they, they emailed us 50 questions. And at, at the time, we were like, man, our relationship's great. It's amazing. We get along. We don't fight. And then we got these 50 questions. <laughs> and in these 50 questions, it, were, it was questions like, where are you going to spend the holidays with, with what family? It was like, how many kids do you want to have? It was like, are you going to merge your bank accounts? Who's going to clean? Who's going to cook? Who's All these practical questions that I had never thought about before. And as we started discussing around them, we quickly started realizing, oh, man, this is going to be hard. <laughs> this is going to be tough. And so we go and meet with the Maldens for our first premarital counseling um, session. And we start telling them, man, these questions were head scratchers for us. They were really hard. And, man, we need help uh, talking through some of these points. And, I'll never forget Michael, Michael said, he said, I want to I tell you something just right out of the gate. Marriage is hard. Um, but if I could encourage you to do anything, it's to have a family motto. And we have one, and it's this. And they began to tell us our family motto is the Maldens do hard things. And he said, we have kids, and we tell our kids, hey, you're a Malden, and Maldens do hard things. And he said, it's become a family motto for us, and it's helped renew our mind to the way we view life. And so my wife and I, it just really hit us in that season, and we were like, let's take that and let's make it our own. And so we began telling each other, um, we're good at hard things. We're good at hard things. And so anytime in our premarital counseling, hard things, hard conversations would come up, we would, we would look at each other and we'd say, okay, this is hard. This is a hard topic, but what are we good at? We're good at hard things. And it would help renew our mind to what was before us. And so we just celebrated three years of, of marriage in December, woo-woo, and... Um, yeah, and for these past three years, this one phrase, we're good at hard things, has saved us from fighting. It saved us in situations we didn't know what to do. The most recent one was we had a birth plan that my wife wanted to do. Well, it didn't go as planned, um, and it just got really intense really quick. If, if you've been through that, you know what I'm talking about. And there was a moment where my wife looked at me, and she said, Aaron, this is intense. I don't know if I can do this. And I said, I said, Sarah Beth, what are you good at? And she looked at me with tears in her eyes, and she said, I'm good at hard things. It renewed our mind and her mind in the middle of a hard circumstance. Uh, there was another one where we were down to only one income. And, again, we've only been married for three years, so we're still puppies. But in this place, we, we were on one income. And we are like, man, how are we going to pay for bills? How are we going to do this? How are we going to pay for our house and pay for just all of the things that were coming? And I remember I was, I was frustrated. I was I was just trying to figure all this out, and I remember one night my, my wife said, Aaron, what are you good at? I was like, oh, I'm good at hard things. And it positioned my heart to see my circumstance different, knowing that, man, I'm good at hard things. 
Because I share this because what's happening in the story is a young man has come to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to follow you. But the moment a hard thing presents itself because he doesn't know how to approach hard things, he walks away sorrowful and his heart is downcast. And I feel like I see many Christians these days walking around sorrowful with their head down because they do not know how to overcome in hard situations and hard circumstances. And I feel the Lord saying, listen, you're good at hard things. You're good at hard things. Because as I lean into the Lord, as I look at his word, I realize he only asks us to do hard things. Have you ever noticed this? Like he only asks us to do hard things. I'll give you some examples. It's easy to love the person you're sitting next to if you're getting along with him. It's easy. But it's hard to love that person that gets under your skin. It's hard. It's hard to love your enemy. But, but I hear the Lord saying, no, you're good at hard things. Or here's another one. It's easy to hold a grudge. Honestly, if you get hurt, you get offended, it's easy to hold a grudge, but it's hard to go to your brother, to go to your friend, to go to your coworker and say, hey, this actually really offended me and hurt me, and I want to clear the decks of my heart, and, and I want to forgive you, because it's easy to get bitter. I've learned in my walk with the Lord, it's really easy to get bitter. It's a lot harder to live a life of forgiveness. But Jesus asks us to do hard things. And so today, I want to I equip you for 2021 as we're going through this year with this phrase that you're good at hard things. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm good at hard things. So I want to look, if you'll flip over to Luke 9, I want to look at three, three young people who come to Jesus, three different uh, people, and they want to follow him. Because you're good at hard things, but there's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to following Jesus. And you see right here in this passage in Luke 9 that there's three costs or there's there's three tolls, if you would, you must pay on your journey with Jesus. If you're truly to follow him, if you're truly to say, Lord, I'll follow you. Lord, I'll give my life to you. There's three costs to following Jesus. And I want to look at them in Luke 9. And we'll land here um, in, this, in this passage here in Luke 9. Um, and starting in verse 57, it says this. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he said to another, follow me. But he, saw, he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, here in this passage, you have three different people who are all three counting the cost of following Jesus. And Jesus responds, uh, it's just unique the way Jesus responds here. You read these responses, and, and if you take them at face value, it's kind of a head scratcher. And you're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? But I want to dive into Jesus' responses, and I want to I look here at what Jesus says to these, these three young men. Um, and the first one comes to Jesus. The first one approaches Jesus himself and says, hey, Lord, I'll follow you. Hey, Jesus, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, okay, well, well, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, if you know anything about the context or history here, um, it, was, it was a custom 
For if you were Jewish and you were to follow a rabbi, it was great, great honor in this day. It was a great honor. Uh, For some, you would move into the temple where the rabbi taught from. For some, you would be given a piece of clothing um, that would associate you to that rabbi. So someone by the eye would look and say, oh, they belong to that rabbi. They follow that rabbi. And it would associate status. It would associate honor. It was just a really good and, and high thing to follow a rabbi. So this young man comes and says, Lord, I'll follow you. Well, little, do, little does he know that currently in this text, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And now Jesus goes to Jerusalem several times in his, his earthly pilgrimage, in his three years in his ministry. But this specific time is the time where he will go to Jerusalem and he will be crucified. So Jesus is currently on his way to lay his life down. Yet this man does not know that. And he's saying, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Again, Jesus responds and says, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And you see this, the first cost of following Jesus is your comfort. It's your comfort. If you're fully going to be all in with Jesus, Lord, I'll follow you. It will cost you your comfort. See, comfort will kill your spiritual life. Comfort will kill your spiritual life. If you're just going to go be on cruise control and be in a comfortable place, and I'm just going to live this comfortable life, well, your spiritual life will be killed by your comfort. Jesus says this, greater love has no one than this, than one who lays down his life for his friends. It's John 15. Or in verse 23 of Luke 9, just a couple verses earlier, Jesus would say this. He would be teaching and he would say, then he said to them all, if anyone, if anyone, young or old, rich or poor, status, no status, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. And what I have learned in my pursuit with Jesus is that you must lay down, you must trade your comfort for the cross. Meaning this, you must deny your sexual desires. You must deny your life goals and dreams and ambitions. They may not be bad dreams. They may not be bad ambitions. But listen, to truly follow Jesus means to lay those things down. You must deny your political affiliations. Right now, this is a big one. There's political opinions going everywhere. But to follow Jesus, it means I will deny myself. I will deny my opinion. I will lay down my opinion. You must deny yourself. For the life you live is not your your own. But you have been crucified with Christ. The life you live, you now live through Jesus. You know, a couple couple months ago, uh, my wife and I, we do a date night. We do a weekly date night. And we love to go to the movies. And so the theater had just opened up, and we were going to go back to see a movie that we had seen the trailer, and we were like, this maybe looks like a good movie. And about 15 minutes into the movie, my wife looks at me, and she says, I I don't know if we should watch any more of this movie. And very quickly, I said, okay, let's leave. And we got up, and we left. Um, And, you know, I've realized the more we try to flip on a movie, maybe we want to watch a movie on Netflix together at night, more often than not, we have to change the channel. More often than not, we have to say, you know what, I don't think we can finish this. Because for us to watch this video, to watch what's being portrayed on the screen would be a level of compromise. But for us, we have learned to truly follow Jesus. It must mean I will deny my comfort for the cross. To truly follow Jesus, you must trade comfort for the cross. You must trade the wide path for the narrow. You must trade what's easy for what's hard. But listen, Christians are good at hard things. 
They're good at hard things. Let's go to the next one. The next one is this. Now we have a young man who comes to, who Jesus comes to in verse 59 and says, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, this one is interesting because I read this and I think Jesus what's wrong with this, this. Can this guy just bury his dad? Like what's going on here? But then as you read, you see that nowhere in this passage does it say the father has yet to die. Nowhere does it say that the father's funeral or his burial is just days away. No, all it says is he says, let me first go and bury my father. And so my wife is Jewish. Um, and so in the time of knowing her, I have learned a lot of things about Judaism. I've learned a lot of things about the, the, just the way you can read scripture. There's so much in here when you view it through that lens. And I've learned that in Judaism, uh, in Jewish tradition, that a, a son would not receive his inheritance until his father would die. So when his father would die, he would go and then bury his father. And then the next thing that would happen is he would receive his inheritance. So what you see here is this young man actually saying, Lord, I'll follow you, but first, but first I must wait until I can get my inheritance. And Jesus says, no, let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. The second cost to following Jesus is the cost of your convenience. It's the cost of your convenience. See, many of us believe when I get my life together, then I will wholeheartedly follow Jesus. Or, or maybe when I get financially stable, then I will fully follow Jesus. Then I'll tithe. Then I'll give. Then I'll do all of the things. Or maybe you're there and you start to say, when I get married, then I'll get serious about my relationship with the Lord. For It will, it will require it for the health of my marriage. Or maybe you'll say, when I have kids, then. Or, or when my kids grow up and go to college, then. Or there's always these these things that you can give excuses to why I'm waiting to get serious with Jesus. And I heard a preacher say this one time, the devil is okay with you saying yes to Jesus as long as you say yes tomorrow. The devil is okay with you saying yes to Jesus as long as you say yes tomorrow. I know many people, I have many conversations with people um, with, I've had conversations through my dad and my dad's friends who've said, man, I wish I, could have, I wish I could have given my life to Jesus at a young age like you did, but I was afraid. Or I wish I could have all of these things. I wish I could have followed the call of God in my life. I wish I could have picked up and gone and done that thing like the Lord had asked me to do, but they were always waiting for tomorrow. The devil is okay with you saying yes as long as it's tomorrow. But you see, there's, there's three words that this man says that, that is just super unique, and you quickly see the state of his heart. You quickly see where his, the health of his heart and his response to Jesus. He says, Lord, let me first. I'll follow you, but let me first. And as I was reading this, I asked the Lord, I asked myself in the presence of the Lord, Lord, where have I said let me first? Where have I responded Lord, let me first. And I quickly started thinking, you know, if I could get as practical as I could, for me, it's, it's not as much of, Lord, let me first clean up my, my sin habits, or Lord, let me first clean up, you know, some of these big things. It, it looks a lot of times like this for me. I'll wake up in the morning thinking I'm going to go spend time with the Lord, and then I think, Lord, let me first uh, do the dishes. 
Lord, let me first, I need to pick up the house a little bit. Lord, let me first, oh, I need to do my to-do list for, the, oh, Lord, let me first check my email. Well, before I know it, the day has gone by, and it's been another day of me thinking what was first is actually second, where I put the Lord second because of let me first. I, I read a story when Billy Graham was in his, he was on his deathbed, and it was just days before he would pass. Someone came to him and said, Billy, if, if you would have done anything different, you can find this online. If you would have done anything different, what would have you done? And he said, I would have, I would have said no to more speaking engagements. I would have said no to traveling more. I would have said no to more external ministry. And I would have said yes to sitting at his feet. I would have said yes to sitting at the feet of the Lord. It's why scripture says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden his, your heart. Because he must be first. Surrendering your timing, surrendering your convenience is a hard thing. But I want, I want to tell you to take heart because Christians are good at hard things. There's one more. And if the band wants to hop back up, that would help me, that would help us. There's one more. You see it in verse 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And the last one is this. It's commitment to the cost. It's a commitment to the cost. Because you see, as I, as I look around, as I hear messages that are coming forth from different churches and different voices, I'm seeing that there's been a gospel preached in the church that it doesn't cost anything to follow Jesus. It won't cost you anything if you say yes to him. It won't cost you anything. In fact, your life will be the blessed life and rainbows and butterflies. There will be no trials or persecutions. It doesn't cost you anything to follow him. But what I've learned is to the contrary, it will cost you everything to follow him. It will cost everything if you say yes to him. I've, I've learned there must be no plan B's. There must be no bridges to your past. There must be no other options for you in your life. You must be all in. All in. But I feel like we don't like to talk about commitment in the church. I heard the Lord say this as I was praying. I heard the Lord say, Aaron, the church loves a Jesus that says it's easy. The church loves a Jesus that will bail you out of trouble. The, the church loves a Jesus that says you can put your spiritual life on cruise control and he'll do all the work. But there's great commitment to following Jesus. Have you ever realized it's why we use language like, have you, have you committed your life to Christ? You know, let me pray for you, but, but have you committed your life to Christ? Because we know, we know deep down that there's a great, great commitment to following the Lord. But, but you see, when there's no commitment, then when things get hard, you'll look to other lovers. If there's no commitment, when things get hard, you'll look to other lovers. Let me prove it to you really quick. Uh, it's what happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness. They were all gung-ho to leave Egypt. Yes, let's do it. Yes, let's do it. Then they leave. Well, then the wilderness doesn't quite look like what they thought it would look like. 
It doesn't, they're not quite eating things like they thought they would eat. They're not sleeping where they thought they would, where they thought they would sleep. It doesn't look like what they thought it would look like. And they come together and they start saying, man, I remember the fish we would eat in Egypt. Oh, I remember the onions and the garlics. And they just start talking about all the food in Egypt. Oh, I remember where we would lay our head. And then in Numbers 14, verse 4, do you have that verse? Check this out. It says, so they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Because when things got hard, they started looking to other lovers. And see, I've learned and I'm learning that you can't give Jesus everything until he becomes everything. Like, really, it's just talk. It's just words that, oh, I'll give him everything. But if he's not everything, you won't give him everything. If he's not everything, you'll live in compromise. It, it, was, a, it was about a month, maybe a couple months ago, my wife and I, we were spending time with a couple. Um, it was a young couple, and they were outside of the upper room. But this couple that we know, and they started telling us, it was like we got together. I don't know if you've ever got with someone, and they just start, like, confessing their sin, but they don't really know, realize they're doing it, if you've ever been in that situation. And this couple just starts telling us, yeah, we go to the Bible study once a week, and uh, we, we uh, honestly, we, we take shots with our, with our Bible study group, and they just start telling us all the stuff they're doing, and we're like, what in the world? And, and we started talking, and this phrase came out of my wife's mouth. She said, you know, I feel like we're in a day where Jesus is everything or compromise is normal. We're living in a day where Jesus is everything or compromise is normal. But I've learned you can't give him everything until he becomes everything. Because you have three people who come to Jesus and they're like, Lord, I'll follow you. And then it doesn't look like they thought it would look like. And then you don't, you don't hear about them again. You don't know what happens to them. You don't know where their life goes. You just know that they, they don't follow Jesus. It's too hard. It gets hard. And like the rich young ruler, they, they go away sorrowful in heart. But when Jesus becomes everything, when you're like, Lord, I'll give you everything. I'll give you everything. Then you become like Abraham, who's able to give Isaac to God when he asks. Then you become like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who don't hesitate to go to the fire. You become like Daniel, who's not afraid to pray, even though he knows he'll go to the lion's den. You'll become like Joshua, who will move in on the giants in the promised land. You'll become like Esther, who's not afraid to confront the king, even though she's a Jew. You'll become like Elijah, who was able to confront an entire nation in their wickedness. Or David, who was the only one in a nation who would stand before a Goliath. Or you'll become like Peter, who wasn't hesitant to go into a burning city and proclaim the gospel, knowing he would lose his life. Or Paul. Do you know what the Bible says about Paul? It says Paul was whipped 39 times, just like Jesus. Not once, but five different times. It says that he was beaten with a rod three different times. It says he was stoned once. It says he was shipwrecked three times. But in Romans 8, this is what Paul would write. In Romans 8, verse 18, he would write, I consider the sufferings of this life not to be compared to the glory that Jesus will reveal. Oh, I consider the sufferings of this life not to be compared to the glory that Jesus will reveal. See, he must be everything 
for you to truly give him everything. And my fear is, as I'm seeing things, you can't get on social media without seeing people's opinions coming forth. And, oh, man, this needs to happen. And, oh, criticism here. And, man, my feed, it seems like, is filled with men and women of God who I had the most up respect for in my heart. Yet now I'm saying I, I feel like I have to unfollow you as a friend in my life because what's coming forth is, is just as wicked as all of the stuff you're seeing. Because listen, to follow Jesus, it looks like something. To follow Jesus, it will cost you your convenience. It will cost you your timing. It will cost you everything. Oh, it will cost you everything. But listen, when you know I'm all in, I'm all in, and you know that it's by grace that you have been set free. You know that it's the grace of God that empowers you. You know that grace will come alongside you. Hard thing, you can look at hard things and go, oh, I'm good at hard things. Oh, Christians are good at hard things because I'm filled with the power of God. I'm all in. I'm all in. I am my beloved's and he is mine. You see, in a room this size, when there's 99% of you that I don't know you by name, I don't know what your life looks like. I, I have to wonder and ask, maybe, maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know he's worth giving everything. Maybe, maybe you don't know that he was wounded for your sins or he was bruised for your iniquities. Maybe you don't know that by his stripes you were healed. Maybe you don't know that his body was broken for you. Maybe you don't know that in him is perfect peace or in him is joy you can't explain. Maybe you don't know that in him is fullness to life. Maybe you don't know that in him is all reconciliation, all for your marriage, for your finances, for your family. Maybe you don't know that he makes all things new. Maybe you don't know that he is only good and that his faithfulness will never run out on you. Maybe you don't know that he's worthy. You know, he's, he truly is everything. When you see him as everything, when you know he's the pearl of great prize, when you know he's the treasure of the field, when you know he's the one that's worth laying everything down for Jesus, it's easy to say, Lord, here's my promises, here's my dreams, here's my callings, here's everything, Lord. Here's my desire for what my kids should be. Here's, here's everything. Here's my marriage. Here's this, Lord, you can have it all. But my fear in 2021 is that we're moving into a day where people are defining themselves what it looks like to follow Jesus. I read an article this week with my wife. We were reading an article of a worship leader who, who the entire church globally has sung their songs. And their songs have become anthems. And they're interviewing the wife. And the wife is saying, yeah, well, we left the church because we got tired of people defining what our relationship with Jesus should look like. And, and this is quoted by her saying, um, and we decided we wanted to define what it looked like ourselves. We wanted to define ourselves. And I'm here to tell you, we don't get to define our relationship with Jesus. He defines our relationship with Jesus. He defines our relationship with Jesus. And when there's all these different messages coming forth, I, I want to tell you that, oh, it'll be worth it. Oh, there will be blessing. Oh, there will be good things. Oh, there will be breakthrough. Oh, you will see him as good. Oh, he'll show up and he'll show up big. Oh, but there will be hard things. There will be persecutions and trials. Oh, you will be ridiculed for following him. But listen, he's worth it. He's everything. He's everything. And maybe you're in this room and you're like, bro, why are you so intense? And it's because I have to tell you it's time for the church to get serious and say he's everything. 
He's everything. Like, I can't just commit to a Sunday night. I can't just commit to, oh, I'll do one prayer set. Oh, no, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of saying, I can't do compromise. I can't do sin. I can't associate with these things. I can't criticize. No, I have to live with my life open before the King of Kings. Who is this King of glory? When you begin to see him, you begin to start to say things like that. Like, who is this? Who are you? You show up in my life and you convict me of sin. You show up in my life and you say, you need to talk to your wife better. You show up in my life and you start blessing me and kissing me in the morning. And I'm like, who is this king of glory? Oh, he's everything. He's everything. Oh, Jesus, you're everything. You're everything, Lord. So across the room, would you stand with me? Jesus, Lord, I I declare, Lord, that we'll be a people who are willing to lay down our comfort to pick up the cross and follow you. Lord, that we'll be a people that are willing to lay down our own convenience to follow you. Lord, and I know in my own strength, my commitment will only take me so far. Oh, but with your grace. Oh, with your grace. A commitment tonight becomes a lifestyle 10 years from now. Oh, with your grace, a commitment tonight. Oh, becomes something I couldn't do in my own strength. You did in me. Oh, but Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you're the pearl of great prize. Lord, you're our reward, you're our inheritance. Jesus, you're everything. Yeah, across the room, I just, I want to ask you to ask the Lord. Ask Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, where have I lived in compromise? Holy, Holy Spirit, where have I defined the, the terms of what it looks like to follow you? Just begin to ask the Lord yourself. Just begin to ask him, Lord, has there been places where I haven't seen you rightly? Have there been places in my life where I've looked to other lovers? Have there been places in my life where, where I've looked for satisfaction in other things but you? Has it been in my spouse? Has it been in my family? Has it been in my job? Oh, Lord, where have I looked to other things that I should have been looking to you? And I just want to encourage you to respond to him. To respond to him. It's as simple as, Lord, I repent today, tonight. Tonight, Lord, you can have it all. You can have it all. Tonight, Lord, you can have it all. In fact, if that's your prayer with me, would you just lift your hands up? And we're going to say that together. If that's your prayer, just lift up your hands and say, say, Lord, tonight, you can have it all. Come on, Lord, tonight, you can have it all. Listen, tomorrow morning we'll come and we'll walk this thing out. But, but if we can give him our commitment tonight, if we can give him our life tonight, if we can say tonight, Lord, our life is not our own, but the life I live, I now live through Christ Jesus. Lord, you can have it all. Oh, he'll meet you with grace in the morning. He'll meet you with grace on Wednesday night. He'll meet you with grace in the weekend. Oh, it's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. 
That's why Paul would write, I die daily. I die daily. Daily I have to remind myself, oh, the old man is dead. Oh, my dreams are dead. Oh, my aspirations are dead. The life I live, I now live in Christ Jesus.